What is up, Daddy Gang? It is your founding father, Alex Cooper, with Call Her Daddy. Cole Sprouse. Yes. Welcome to Call Her Daddy. Thank you for having me. Considering how private you are, I'm so happy that you're here because I'm excited for people to get to know you a little bit better maybe even have you talk about some things that you've never talked about before. Sure. Let's okay. go. Okay. Let's get into it. No, I, I, I will say, um, I really like how conversational your podcast is. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I think that, I think that that's missing a lot from the publicity space that mm. there's like this curation that I believe, uh, does a tremendous disservice to actual guests on something and, and the conversational nature of just the podcast space in general, but particularly yours is really refreshing. My publicists are obviously not here. Cole showed up alone. They they rarely they know that they have very very little control over the lunacy that uh-huh. that whatever happens on on set, so they're like, "Okay, dude, he's just going to be this whirling dervish. We might as well just let him go." I will say I love it because I've had people show up here with 20 people yeah. and then I've had people like you that show up alone. Yeah. This is what I prefer. I show up to a lot of things alone. Were you like nervous showing up here at all? Um, I was nervous because my girlfriend was like, hey, this, uh, this she's going to pepper you with some really interesting questions. But that's kind of it. Shout out to Cole's girlfriend. We love you for giving him a little bit of a taste of what he's about to get on Call Her Daddy. Okay, so let's get into it. Let's go back to kind of the beginning. Mm. You and your twin brother, Dylan, were born in Italy. Yes. Why were your parents in Italy and when did you move to the United States? Uh, My parents were teaching out there at the time. They were part of this school slash cult. I can't really figure out what it was. Um, But my father was teaching physical education and my mother was an art teacher and we were living in Tuscany and we were just born out there because it was romantic and sexy and And then we, I mean, we moved when we were very young. We ended up moving to Switzerland and then my parents got a divorce and my mother moved us back to the U.S. to like Studio City, uh, between Studio City and Long Beach. And that's when we started acting, Uh acting. Okay. Twins are a lot. Mm -hmm. Have your parents ever talked to you about how hard it was in the beginning? Like, were they ready to be parents and ready for No, no, no. My father got a vasectomy immediately after he found out he was having twins. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And they shared that with you? Oh, yeah. My father and I have a very good relationship. He's very open about all that stuff. So you and Dylan booked your first acting gigs before you were even one year old. Yeah. Diaper commercials. What did your parents explain to you as to like why you were auditioning so young? Well, my mother needed an income. I mean, there's two. I, I think there's two types of kids within you know, the child acting business, there's like the thespian children that choose to do it. And then there's the working class kids that, Mm -hmm. that in our case, at least, um, twins are a great labor exploit because babies can only work for a certain amount of hours. So you double the time if you have two of them that look identical. Um, so it was, I mean, it started really as a means to put bread on the table and, um, also allow my mother at the same time to be a mother Mm. Um, but to make her main focus and her job are careers. I mean, it made me think kind of of like Mary Kate and Ashley. I, it's a great example. Yeah. Sure. Cause like, obviously I remember on full house, it was like, you can just swap in each kid when it's like, Oh, you you're up on, what is it? Like five hours you can work or something. At- I even less. I mean, every year it gets a little, uh, a little bit more, but in most cases, a baby can only work like an hour or two hours. When you think about that, like you as a kid being like pushed. I wasn't conscious until this last year, so please oh. go ahead. <laughs> Cole's like, I don't even know I don't, where I am. I don't I remember am. fucking breakfast, so. <laughs> no, it is crazy because I, I do, I was like thinking about that of like the child labor laws of how you have a better way to monitor. I too often think of child labor laws, mm-hmm. yes. And how do you feel about that, Cole? I mean, to be honest, I, I, I get a lot of people... Uh, asking me like, oh man, you really went through the gamut. Oh man, all this. But in very many ways, it was like, you know, the golden ticket from Willy Wonka. It, it was a, it was a really, it was a great means to an end. This episode is presented by Sparkling Ice. 
Turn up summer with sparkling ice. They have over 17 anything but subtle flavors, all made with zero sugar and packed with vitamins and antioxidants. Iced tea and lemonade, strawberry watermelon, tropical punch, peach nectarine. Yum. Crank up the flavor, sparkling ice, anything but subtle. This episode is brought to you by Curology. If you have particular skincare challenges, it can be really frustrating to waste time and money on products that just are absolutely not formulated for you. That is why I'm so excited to recommend Curology. I have personally struggled with acne my whole life. And I'll look at someone on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram and be like, should I buy those products? No, I do not have the same skin as them. So I should not be treating it the same. Curology's personalized prescriptions are formulated to treat your individual skin needs from acne to the earliest signs of aging. All you have to do is go online, take a quick quiz, and you will be connected to a licensed dermatology provider that will create a custom formula based on your skincare needs. If you're ready to start your skincare journey and start seeing results, here is a special offer just for you. Visit Curology.com slash call her daddy for a special offer. That's Curology, C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y dot com slash call her daddy. Offer applies only to your first box. Subject to consultation. New subscribers only. Subscription required. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Who's ready to create some core memories this spring, daddy gang? Rally the squad. We're packing up and heading out on a road trip in UGG. Y'all know I live in my UGG classic boots. Well, now it's time to swap out the boots for the sandal of the season, the golden glow, because you already know UGG season is year-round, baby. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com. Do you mind if I have a cigarette? Please have your cigarette. Okay. You know what, Gold? Let's open the door. I don't know. People get people are all cool about it's fine. Everyone smoking weed in like a studio, but and not a fucking like, cigarette. Can I have tobacco, and everyone gets like this. It's fine. It's fucking fine. I'm curious. Mm. Did you even go to like elementary school? I did. Um, it was off and on. We. It was in between jobs mainly, uh, but most of my younger curriculum was homeschooled, which is okay. great because to be honest, I did not feel like I missed out on much. Everyone that talks to me about their high school experience, <laughs> I was like, this sounds fucking horrible. It wasn't great. It wasn't yeah. great, Cole. But I'm wondering, do you remember when you were in elementary school? Like, how did people treat you? Because I know you weren't famous, famous, but like mm. Big Daddy, you were what, five? Yeah, six. And when we were kids, I don't think they really cared too much. Some of them knew that we were actors. But Dylan and I, uh, Dylan specifically, was a huge bully. So our navigation through elementary school and middle school, we were like fucking dicks. No. Wait, I mean, how would he bully people? Uh, he would beat him up. He would beat him up. And then I became known as the twin that would come up and be like, I'm so sorry for my brother. Wait, I kind I of feel like that was your character also yeah. on um, Zach and Cody. And very, well, I think... I think the writers on Zach and Cody took a lot of cues from, uh, from you know, our actual personalities. But, um, yeah, he was, uh, he was a real bully. And <laughs> Your brother would be like, what the fuck? Thanks, Cole. <laughs> oh, no, I say this all. Everyone knows that he's and he, a bully. And he's fine yeah. with it. Uh, I don't know if he's fine with it. Mm -hmm. I think he's still got some stuff to work out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So how are the two of you different in personality? Like if people don't know you, they just know your on-screen personalities. What is the difference personality-wise? My brother's a lot more stubborn. Um, I would say pig-headed as his brother, but uh, he is very much a natural leader. Like he, he, a lot of people respect his opinion because he goes into his opinions incredibly boldly mm -hmm. where I, I will sort of tiptoe and, and sense the room and... Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. We're, we're very, very different. And I think most twins get, uh, more distinct as time goes on, mm. but, uh, we're still best friends. I mean, he lives like 10 minutes from me. Mm -hmm. So do you guys talk every day? Every day. Yeah. Every day. It's very cute. Very cute. I mean, when I moved to Vancouver for Riverdale, it was probably, it was probably the biggest amount of distance we've ever had between each other and we felt it man really? it was sad I, it was genuine it genuinely made me upset so back to <laughs> what you were saying about your parents split when you were how old 
Ooh, I mean, mm, I think before a year. Yeah. Okay. I only have one memory of them still together for sure. What is that memory? Oh, it was me riding on the back of uh, my mother's bike um, in the little baby seat uh, in Switzerland. And there we were down this little bike path because, you know, Europeans love that shit. And uh, there were aspen trees and owls and things. It was very picturesque. I actually can't tell if I've completely fabricated this memory now, but I, I, I'd like to think there was this idyllic origin. Yeah. Were they on the same page about your careers, though? Because no. Okay. No. My mother, um, my mother definitely fast, was fascinated by the industry far more than my father was. My father's a very blue-collar dude, grew up super, super rough. Um, he's an automotive repairman. Um, so he had a very blue collar approach to understanding our business. I'm very thankful for my father's just philosophy of life because it, it, it allowed me to take none of this too seriously, mm -hmm. which is great. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I, don't, I would say he did not really understand. He saw the money mm -hmm. and was like, hey, this is quite lucrative. And I come from a family of 49ers. So it was like, this is a gold rush, man. You got you to gotta strike this vein while it's hot. Yeah. But uh I think he understands that more than anything. When you say that your parents obviously were on different pages, at what age do you did you recognize that? And like, what were those conversations? Well, I was my both my brother and I were given. We went through a lengthy court battle at about ten, okay. and custody was stripped from my mother and given to my father. And at that point, I said, "Hmm, my mother thinks of this a little differently than my father does." Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. and it's interesting because. In very many ways, the court system, especially in cases of divorce and in cases of custody, is in, in very, very large favor of the mother. And in this instance, it probably should have been the father. And I, I, I think his philosophy of that approach towards our careers and grounded, like he, he desperately wanted us to be mm -hmm. normal kids. And my mother wanted us to be more than or sort of a bit more of a caricature of two, you know, normal kids, some extraordinary thing, which is beautiful in its own right. But um, I think it does a disservice to children who are also working to be treated as anything more or less than like their peers. Yeah. I mean, obviously that is telling, like usually the mother would be getting custody were there more things but like behind the scenes other than just like the forward facing like we disagree with your careers oh absolutely okay absolutely i mean i i i think i've said this once in an interview and it was totally misconstrued but i i, I believe that celebrity and success and you know financial excess or surplus in a single generation is an elected trauma in very many ways mm -hmm. um i i have watched a lot of people come into success from much less in a single generation and they all have a very codified um kind of sickness mm -hmm. afterwards and it's one of uh, this industry in general i believe uh cultivates an incredible amount of vanity and narcissism that can destroy people and it doesn't matter your age i i've i've seen it when i was younger and i've seen it now as an adult but like that kind of narcissism, that self-centeredness can end up really undoing people. And um, so there was plenty, plenty behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. I think in very many ways, my brother and I were lucky, mainly because we were, we were young boys. Like the fascination when we were younger, at least on the Disney Channel, was like of Miley and Selena and a lot of these girls because they were, you know, they were heavily sexualized, which is another huge fucking issue. But um, the fascination, which was young womanhood, mm -hmm. my brother and I, in very many ways, went through all of the same trappings, except the lens wasn't on us as tightly, which I'm very, very grateful for. And I, I think was, you know, I, th I think at the time was just coincidence. Mm -hmm. um, and as I've grown older, I'm, I'm, I feel very blessed to not have had that sort of shown. But um, yeah, we went we went through a lot. And I think it also has contributed to my conflict mm. with this industry as I've grown up. Like, like the philosophy of continuing it within acting has, has been definitely shaped by how I've watched people torn asunder by it. I remember when you said earlier, like, I started this 
as a job to put food on the table for my family. Then there's other people that are like, I want to be an actress. I want to be an actor. Like you didn't really have a choice. Are you in any way resentful of your parents that they put you in that position so young? No, no, I'm not. My parents did not come from too much. Mm -hmm. And I have now been granted a life of primarily financial stability and surplus in very many cases that is the byproduct of working for 30 years and sort of trading my childhood but um, I don't regret it at all I don't regret it at all I know that there's there there's definitely resentment there's Mm -hmm. definitely some things I have to work through but no if I were given the same choice again I'd probably Mm -hmm. do it again the world I feel like can be pretty rough to child actors sure and it's not fair, but I do feel like we hear more sad stories than happy. Sure. Were your parents ever checking in to make sure that you guys didn't go down a dark and dangerous path? Absolutely. I mean, my father primarily. Okay. My father's like my best friend. Yeah. He's a really, really solid dude. And he had he had such a rough upbringing that I think he was able to recognize empathetically when when my brother or I were going through something like can you give us an example like take us back to like you're in Zach and Cody right and you're going through it you're working at Disney Channel what is your dad saying to you guys in those moments you know funny enough I get asked about Disney a lot because I think a lot of people want to sort of poke Mm -hmm. the bear and Mm -hmm. see you know how how atrocious the channel was by the time my brother and I got to Disney channel, we were good. It was a huge boon to us. It it was, it was in very many ways, a life saving show. Mm. Um, it provided us with an amount of stability and consistency and routine that really was needed for my brother and I at the time. Everyone has had a different experience there. I've had former Disney stars on and every single person's, recount of what happened to them or what they felt from it is very different yeah that's interesting to me too why because a lot of those kids came from privilege Hmm. you know i i i find that a lot of the times it's much easier to complain about the business approach of a larger studio when you don't need the money as much you know Hmm. It's 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 really intriguing. Like like when you when you approach this career as a sort of passion, and you're starting to learn the language of these major studios, and the language mm-hmm. is always money. Um, you start to become discontented. But if you start from a working kid background, and you're like, yeah, this is this is money, baby. Right. Um, you're not as surprised or discontented when your boss or the studio chooses a money-based approach to your career. And I'm not delegitimizing yeah. anything they say. I, I, it is no doubt it is already incredibly conflicting mm-hmm. to be a child uh, hoisted up to the criticism of an entire nation and also be working nine to five. But I, but I think, you know, I, I think it's important if you're learning about someone's own history to know the historian and, and their background, this Nepo baby argument as an example oh, has yeah. been in my, and in, in, in my opinion, something my brother and I have been talking about since we were kids, but it's now mm-hmm. just recently become a hot topic in, in the public. And, you know, this is, this is a major distinction. Uh, this kind of this nepotism or elitism has existed within the industry for a very long time. And I find it's a lot easier to complain um, about the philosophy of a boss. Like I mentioned earlier, when you, when you come from a position of privilege mm-hmm. where maybe you don't need the surplus as much as another, another mm-hmm. child does. You mentioned that when you got the sweet life of Zach and Cody, it was a lifeline. Cause mm-hmm. I was asking you like, how would your dad keep you guys from going down that bad path? So prior to sweet life, where were you two at mentally? Oh man, I don't think I've ever talked about this. Um, cause in very many ways I was lucky for it not to be, uh, discussed. But when we were given, when my father was given forced custody, uh, we had pretty much lost everything from the youngest parts of our career. 
Um, that would be Friends and Big Daddy and a lot of that. My mother was an incredibly wonderful and artistic woman, but uh, she was financially the most irresponsible person ever. Um, so we really didn't have much. We moved in with our father who, you know, was a very blue-collar dude. And we lived underneath this wonderful Russian couple named Helen and Vadim in, like, the back of their house. And little baby Nikolai, shout out little baby Nikolai, you're probably quite old now. The prospect of the consistency of just the money alone was life-changing for not only my brother and I at the time, but also my father. So my father was in big support of this ball that was already rolling down the hill, you know what I mean? And he was guiding us with a very gentle but firm hand uh, towards a sort of moral compass that I think was needed for for who I am today. Mm-hmm. My brother and I, you know, in very many ways, we tried to stay out of trouble. We were we were a couple dorks that were way f- were far more interested in playing video games and Warhammer and and our sort of board game stuff with our friends than going out and partying and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we also, you know, we were thirteen but looked eight. I was 16 and I looked 10. I had a bowl cut and, you know, I looked like a little Dutch girl. It was incredible. And and I think that kept us out of a lot of trouble. It was phenomenal, let me just say. Um, I'm going to bring it back. Don't worry. Now that you have the hindsight of that pretty pivotal moment for you with your family, how does it make you feel now? About what? Just your mom losing all the money that you worked for and then having to... I don't blame her. She's human. Okay. I think in very many ways, we are all more or less durable to the trappings of success and everyone has their own personal navigation through that stuff. And um, I think she was... I think if anyone knew the kind of woman she was, they could have said it would have gone the exact same way. Um, I am remorseful in very many ways that that she wasn't able to get out of it, but I don't blame her at all mm-hmm. because she's a human, and even more than that, she was an artist. Yep. So I think it, it's very funny because artists now, I mean, now we're, we're holding them to a very, um, very high standard just mm-hmm. publicly, but... Most of us only join the arts because we're pretty fucked up. It's that this place is like a vortex, man. Yeah, it is. You it's you so get funny. into this stuff because you're probably pr- a pretty arcane person just to begin with, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I don't blame her in the slightest. Yeah, you know. How did booking the sweet life of Zach and Cody change your life? I mean, money, mm-hmm. straight up. I'd love to say it was a more complicated thing, but the financial stability, I mean, my father and I, my father, Dylan, and I, we moved to our own house a year afterwards, um, and that gave us the kind of freedom and the base, the foundation, in order to feel more at home and to lock in our private sphere of existence and, and to, to continue from there. But uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie, the money was fucking great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you take us through, like, what Please. was a day like on set? Yeah, it's awesome. I, it was great. I mean, I remember complaining around the water cooler as a child, but I look back now as it's like the easiest gig ever. Um, so Monday was uh, a table read day, mm-hmm. which meant the whole cast and the producers and the writers and some of the crew would sit around a large table and we would read the script for the first time. We do a very light rehearsal. Tuesday uh, would be our crew run through. So we would do the whole thing on the stage from front to back um, in front of the crew and the writers. And then they would take their notes. Wednesday was a producer run through. So we'd have the execs from Disney come down and they would watch the episode live like as we were performing it on stage. Um, and then Thursday we would shoot half the episode and Friday we would shoot the other half in front of a live audience. Did you guys have fun? Oh, we had a great time. We had a great time. I can imagine like how yeah. close you obviously are with your brother, like the two of you. And because you said your characters kind of were able to morph a little bit to your personality. Mm. You did have very and distinct. vice versa. I mean, yeah. we, we, we adopted quite a bit of that, of who they were as well as we aged. Who 
was your friend group at Disney? And do you still talk to anyone? Ooh, I was a fucking asshole on Disney, man. <laughs> I was a really angry kid. Okay. Um, I was an, I was a super angry kid, and I think it, and in the most cliche way, like mm-hmm. like angsty teen, angsty kid possible. Um, I was atheist at the time, and I was doing all my my Dawkins and and Hitchens and. And all the kids were Christian, so I was I was like really getting off to like the debates. And that's a fucking annoying kid. That's a really annoying kid. Just yeah. like it, you, I'm, I'm sure you guys knew one of those dickheads back in the day. That was me. You're like poking the bear. I was poking the bear. So you weren't wearing one of the purity rings. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact. <laughs> I was so vocally opposed to that stuff that everyone, I mean, people, the kids thought I was quite radioactive, as I recall. I mean, I, I, I was, I was not, you know, I was not the most popular fellow. Did Dylan make friends? Oh, yeah. And <laughs> all the Dylan girls, the and all the girls loved him, too. I was so upset. Is he still friends with Disney people? I don't think too much of us keep up yeah. um, anymore, but I think that's, you know, that's the nature of, of all of us growing. But, you know, I saw I saw Miley as an example at, I think, Jimmy Fallon a little while ago, and mm-hmm. it was a really nice little reunion. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, it's like high school friends that you graduate with, and you yeah. see them every once in a while, and you're like, oh, we used to be so close or something like that. I don't think it's more complex than that, though. I love that. Dylan started as the bully in elementary school. Everyone loves the bully. Contrary to popular belief. Yeah, girls love the bully, at least in, in high school. I guess if he's like a harmless bully. I don't know. Dylan was, I don't know. I was an intellectual bully, which was fucking lame. Th- yeah, but those are kind of the worst. Those, it was the worst. I'm, I'm saying to you that I was a total piece of shit. When you look back at that version of I cringe. Your... <laughs> I cringe hard. Because imagine, it's one thing if, like, the guy looks cool. No, I had a bowl cut. You know, that's horrible. I remember watching the show <laughs> and being so, like, obsessed with you guys. And then when I got a tiny bit older, I was like, they need to cut their fucking hair. Yeah, you were, you were <laughs> fucking right. I wish you had just sat us down and been like, dude. Get but off I this loved thing. it. My brother had the same swoop yeah. bowl cut. That was all. That was all the rage back then. When were you finally done paying the bills for your family? Oh man, um, three years ago. Three years ago, when I when I hit success with Riverdale, I've also like I I love my father very much. My father, you know, put a lot of his life on hold in order to ensure that my brother and I were okay. And I, I, he, I owe him a lot for that. Mm-hmm. And if that comes through financial conversations, then so be it. Like, I want to get my dad the fucking car he wants. I want to get my dad the house he wants. You know, I want to make sure he's all good. It's just my father, my brother, and I in our family. So, I mean, that makes it a little easier f- for yeah. you know, financial stability. But, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really mind. You know, I, um, what, else, what else is it for? Yeah. You know, I like you, once you realize the lifestyle you want to acquire financially, like that, I don't think there's anything more noble than taking care of your family with the Mm -hmm. financial independence that you've been given. So are you not, don't have a relationship with your mom? Not at all. I mean, in truth, she lost her mind. It was the, I think it was the consequence of some weird alchemy of, of, addiction and mental instability and it's probably the greatest wound in my life and also the greatest driving force for my continuing in this industry but um I miss her I miss her a lot she was an incredibly beautiful and artistic woman Uh, every once in a while she'll reach out to me some weird hieroglyphic text some 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 macabre you know uh Lovecraftian text mm-hmm. that I try to decipher and try to pinpoint where she is, but um, we have a very, very challenged relationship, and I think before she had been lost to whatever madness she's currently in now, she she really believed believed that I could be the best. Mm. And I think I, I think I still do it for her. 
that version of her, whatever mm-hmm. that version of her was, um, to kind of keep her dream alive, mm. whatever that dream is. Do you and Dylan have conversations about it? Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. It's it's a it's a huge wound for the both yeah. of us. Yeah. Huge wound. Um, so I'm just you know a guy sitting in a buka wool chair with some mommy issues, one of many of your guests I'm sure. Oh, I was gonna say like sadly it's like this is life, right? Yeah. Like we all have our family shit, and I appreciate oh, yeah. you sharing it because unfortunately it's uh, something that a lot of people experience. Where like keeping a family together, it's way more rare than having a family that it's got its shit. I tried for very many years. I tried all the things that people said I should try and the things that I felt would be best to try and get her out of her station or whatever it was. But you know what? You can take a horse to water, but you can't make a drink, man. This episode is brought to you by Curology. If you have particular skincare challenges, it can be really frustrating to waste time and money on products that just are absolutely not formulated for you. That is why I'm so excited to recommend Curology. I have personally struggled with acne my whole life. And I'll look at someone on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram and be like, should I buy those products? No, I do not have the same skin as them. So I should not be treating it the same. Curology's personalized prescriptions are formulated to treat your individual skin needs from acne to the earliest signs of aging. All you have to do is go online take a quick quiz, and you will be connected to a licensed dermatology provider that will create a custom formula based on your skincare needs. If you're ready to start your skincare journey and start seeing results, here is a special offer just for you. Visit Curology.com slash call her daddy for a special offer. That's Curology, C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y.com slash call her daddy. Offer applies only to your first box, subject to consultation, new subscribers only, subscription required. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Who's ready to create some core memories this spring, daddy gang? Rally the squad. We're packing up and heading out on a road trip in UGG. Y'all know I live in my UGG classic boots. Well, now it's time to swap out the boots for the sandal of the season, the golden glow, because you already know UGG season is year round, baby. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com. This episode is brought to you by Azo Vaginal Health Products. Most women will experience a yeast infection during their lifetime, But it is time to stop giving women's health the silent treatment. I think sometimes we get so anxious. We don't want to deal with it. Well, actually, yeast infections, you're like, I actually have to deal with this. I literally am so fucking itchy right now. That is what Azo products are for. They have an entire line of products designed to help balance your vaginal pH and protect your vaginal health. Azo Complete Feminine Balance helps restore the balance of good bacteria and for protection from yeast and urinary tract issues. Try Azo Dual Protection, Azo Care That Goes There. Daddy Gang, you can save 20% with the promo code PODCAST at azoproducts.com. That's A-Z-O products.com. I feel like at some point everyone experiences some type of mental health oh, yeah. setback. or Not me, man. No. As we're like getting so deep. No, I'm fucking chill. (laughs) Like, I'm great. I'm great. Let's get to the sex, Alex. (laughs) Fuck. What's something that you've worked through? Oh, I mean, public criticism for sure. Mm. It's big. It's really, it's, it's, I'm a people pleaser. And I'm also like, uh, I think as a consequence of my incredibly strained uh, relationship to my mother, the very first female voice in my life, I, uh, I, I'm like a nurse. Like, I, I, I'm always like, I'm, I'm one of those fixer guys. And that's not good. I, I've, un- I've had to undo a lot of that in my, um, in my late 20s. It caused a lot of, uh, a lot of pain to me, which is something I work through. Uh, and I have worked through in therapy and with friends and, and other people. But the criticism is interesting. 
um, yeah. because um, it's funny. And going back to the Disney thing, this is always something that gets brought up, which is, wow, Disney just really took it out on you guys, didn't they? And I, I hate when people say that because it completely disqualifies how the audience contributes to so much of the instability that occurs. Um, people, people join in on the feast for crows as this, as this sort of cacophony of criticism and they don't, um, ever hold themselves accountable for their own behavior uh -huh. as an individual contributing to a mass of criticism, right. which I find to be completely ignorant. I know uh, most, m most artists I know hear the criticism, mm -hmm. almost all of them do myself included and, and most of our natures will go oh man look at all these nice comments this is wonderful but we fucking will go to that mm -hmm. one it doesn't matter what it is you know it can be about anything what is the comment and the criticism that gets you mm. i find for boys on disney channel we were raised with a very um a sort of prince charming uh image imagery mm -hmm. and I, I think for the girls as well there's this wholesome imagery that follows you around and as I have aged and, and you know come into my own um like advanced adults feelings of sexuality and and of my adulthood and my life and all this sort of stuff and I'm revealed to be through whatever medium um a sinful dirty little hairless ape like the rest of us uh there is a tremendous there's there's a bit of a fall from grace that occurs with mm -hmm. that um, for for all of us, mm -hmm. but uh, I think I think it's hard. I'm I'm such a people pleaser that I I take it hard personally when I feel like I am not helping people or making them feel better or being criticized for a humanity that I rarely try to show. Right. Um, and this is such a you know this is such a a woo woo problem, but like. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I did take criticism quite uh, quite hard for a long time, um, especially as an employee, but also as like a child actor. I, I, I think that's something I've gotten over. I think, you know, my relationship to my family has been a very tense mental health conversation over time. But um, I've been sober for a year and some change now, which has been really great for me. Uh, and it's allowed me to do the kind of self-work that I think and just the professional work. Mm -hmm that um, has allowed me to really ask myself questions as an adult for the first time mm -hmm. in my life and go, wow, maybe you feel this way, dude. Maybe you feel that way, dude. It's fucking great. Yeah, it is great. I'm, I'm like a full, pro I, I am a huge proponent for, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy mm -hmm. and, and psychiatry and all that sort of stuff. When you talked about that, because I, I think it is interesting to people that watched you so heavily on Disney channel and then you talk about this like we have this image and this fall from grace you kind of you and your brother when you went to college kind of really removed yourself from mm. all of it for a little bit well we it, it wasn't a removal we actually did the same thing just in a different way so if you think about it as a child you're sold as this immature public com commodity right mm -hmm. like this this juvenile thing and then uh the world sees you as like this infantile entity mm -hmm. and then you hit your teens and you start to have this sexual maturation and this adult maturation you start to see yourself in relation to your environment far differently um and so it's really an identity crisis it's you start to want people to see you as the identity that you see yourself as and many in that case take to uh, public sexual display, take to drug use, take to these means of investing the conversation of their life, a level of adulthood mm -hmm. that uh, they are not being afforded by the public. Mm -hmm. um, and I think my brother and I sat with each other and just kind of decided the best way to do that would be uh, going away to school and coming out with a diploma and 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 that's uh, for us at least but in very many ways you know that that's an arrested development because I found myself in my early 20s going through a lot of that same dilemma mm. uh, just later and I think every single Disney star I guess except for you guys it's like we watch them maybe get on stage and go in a sexual outfit and be like I'm not a fucking kid anymore and it's sure. like shoving in our face I'm which an adult I, yeah. I'm an adult I'm yes. an adult take me seriously yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah, the yeah. little girl anymore I think it solved the same issue mm -hmm. um to the public but it didn't solve it within ourselves 
right? Like the the publicity worked, right? But it didn't do the healing part. You know, you have to do the self work in order to mm-hmm. heal from that. Mm-hmm. You have to have that open conversation with yourself in order to even grow past that. And I think um, I think I experienced that much of my early twenties. Uh, after school, because I, I, I got back into acting, and mm-hmm. the show Riverdale took off overnight, and 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 reintroduced me this to this buffet of decadency that that I had. Mm-hmm. I had just as much potential as I did as a child to fuck up. Um, so I, I I think that sort of stuff is really valuable if you're actually sitting with yourself and doing doing the work. Yeah. When you started talking about getting away from child acting going to college and trying to kind of explore it did make me think obviously about you and your sexuality Mm. when did you start dating like how old were you when you had your first real relationship you want to hear about how i lost my virginity please tell us this is such a this is such a great story i feel like it says so much about me okay um i was 14 when i lost my virginity so this is still bull cut guy right so just you know if you guys are good individual um i was on a family trip in florida and um i met this girl who was older all right so that's already dubious um and uh the first night we kind of made out and the second night all my buddies had already lost their virginity at this point i was 14 so that's that says another thing but uh we were down at the beach this actually makes me nervous it's so cringy um we were down at the beach i like I like knocked on her on her uh, hotel door. She came out. We went down to the beach. And we were on some chaise lounges, and uh, I looked at her, and I finally my heart was beating like, and I finally mustered up enough courage to to deliver a line that my brother has never ever let down for me. I went, I looked at her, and I was like, "So, uh, are you like DTF?" And um, she goes what and i go you know <laughs> down to fuck oh no i no. was 14 okay <laughs> she looked at me and she was like sure so we went back to the hotel room uh, it's, it's so cringy but it's incredible i look back now it's so funny uh and i text my brother and my buddy charlie who were staying we were all staying in the same hotel room because we were fucking 14 right um, I was like, dude, you gotta get out of the room, man. I've got a girl coming over. Like, you gotta get out of the room, dude. And so we're walking down the hall. I got my arm around this girl. We're walking down the hall, and I see my brother and Charlie coming walking towards me. And as as we pass each other, my brother just looks at me and he goes, "What the fuck are we supposed to do?" <laughs> and I looked at him and I said another line that he's never forgiven me for. And I looked at him and I was like, <laughs> "I don't know." Go play chess or something. Oh, my. Uh, yeah. Lasted about twenty seconds and uh, never talked to her again. And after that, I became truly a serial monogamist. What? A serial monogamist. I went from long-term relationship to long-term relationship. Pretty consistent. So the in and out moves like was not for you. You're like, I want to be with someone so I can get better at twenty seconds. Maybe let's ramp it up to sixty seconds. Oh yeah. No, well actually, I mean, I not only not only that embarrassing display. I actually, I mean, I love that story now cuz it's so stupid. It's so youthful that I I think it's quite funny, but I ended up regretting it a little bit afterwards mm. because I hadn't made it special at all. I sort of I sort of got it out of the way. And and that's not to say it needs to be, but yeah. for my own personal approach to it, I I was kind of like, "Eh." Did you lose it before your brother? I did. Yeah. So he had no words of wisdom. No, actually, in very many ways, he looked at me and was like, well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> um, so it was cool. I got to be a guinea pig for him. Um, but yeah, after that, I became a serial monogamist. Did you feel comfortable, though, in, in the beginning of hooking up with people or beginning to get into a relationship because I've of your fame? I've quite a paranoid person about it, actually. Mm, yeah, quite a paranoid I can see person. that. Um, I think... I think there has there's always a sort of level of judgment and performance that goes into that first experience that I think was compounded for me quite a bit because mm-hmm. of my own insecurity of like public discourse and all that. Um, and I sort of dropped that after college. Okay. I got my first real girlfriend like, I mean, I had one at 15, but uh, that was just young love. Yeah. Um, 
And then my girlfriend in college, after that, I had sort of come to terms with a lot of that stuff and, and, and was far more okay. But for, yeah, yeah, for years, that, that sort of um, conversation around my recognizability uh, made it quite hard for me to connect to people. I, I was never a, uh, a sort of one-night one stand guy, mm-hmm. ever. Couldn't, couldn't really do it. Didn't really have too many super casual partners in my life. Haven't had too many partners in my life just in general, but mm-hmm. like I not, not really, uh, haven't really crossed that bridge. Mm-hmm. And when you say you're super paranoid, do you think that go, that spans past just like relationships, like in general, just because of your oh, career? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think as I've gotten older, I, uh, what I've really been trying to unpack is you know, the distinction between my public and private life, Mm -hmm. you know, my public life has been a mess of, of showing my awkward teen years and all this sort of stuff to, to the world. And I think, I think it's a total natural consequence of my upbringing to feel a little nervous about vulnerability and connection in any way, shape or form when it Mm -hmm. came to romantic partnerships or otherwise. I, I, I like, I was I was very much the product of my circumstances. Now now I, that is not a problem literally at all anymore because I've done I've done the work for it. But yeah, when I was That's younger, great. and in college I had a girlfriend pretty much the whole time. So okay. we were very close. Have you ever been cheated on? Yeah, by almost every single one of my girlfriends. Oh, emotion. Uh, hold on, emotionally, yes, wow. very very much. And my first girlfriend uh, physically, yeah. How do you find out about the emotional cheating? Like everyone does, huh? Texting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. I will say the current relationship I am in has woke me up to what real compatibility and trust looks like mm. in a way that I have never had before. Never had before. And and I think I think I was also younger and stupid and not not the greatest partner either. Like I, I, I was no saint. I mean, I was going through my own fucking traumas and shit mm-hmm. and, and trying to reconcile that as a young 20 something. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, now this is the first relationship where, where I can say, damn, like I, I have real trust here. Yeah. I was going to say not to put it all on you, Cole, but like if there's that theme of emotional cheating, I'm wondering if you've oh, been able yeah. to find within yourself. like Oh, totally. Were you not giving? Totally, totally. Open. I, I mean, I, I, I've, I've come to terms with my own inability to be emotionally vulnerable over time, mm-hmm. um, and I don't blame. I literally don't blame any of my partners for anything that has happened, ever, ever, ever. I, I, I think it takes two to tango in every relationship that you're in, and anyone that points the finger at another person and blames the entirety of, of some sort of. Uh, miscommunication on them is probably not doing the self-work and in that way I will say yes Um, there's also you know I think we've convoluted a lot of the modern romantic uh, conversation where sometimes it's just fundamental incompatibility Totally. sometimes you're just incompatible with someone and and you know you're trying to fucking grease a wheel that ain't broken and and it just doesn't you know it, it doesn't actually work and Absolutely. it's not more complicated so to speak it's just two people that are just don't really work so I don't know I don't really blame anyone for anything I, I mean agree. I think I think I was in the right place at the right time for every relationship I've ever had if all of your exes were in this room right now yeah what would Love. they say about you um that probably most of my relationships were uh had a stronger sexual um, foundation than an emotional foundation, okay. for sure. Would your current girlfriend say that? No. No, no. Progress. Yeah, it's progress for me. I think also that's what your 20s are for. Totally. I love You know, that. like, I, we've gotten, we, we've had a very um, complicated relationship to mistake now mm-hmm. uh, in 2023, but... Most of us forget that uh, your 20s are pretty much almost primarily all mistakes. Yep. Not mistakes because uh, that, that, you know, there's, it shouldn't feel regretful, but it, it's definitely a learning process. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all fucking sinful things. Totally. You know, all of us are, are stupid and fucked up and selfish and uh, narcissistic, but also beautiful and loving and loyal and caring. And, and I think 
as you get older, you kind of tease out what makes you feel better and, and what doesn't make you feel better. And, you know, I'm 30 now. I, it's not that I'm, I'm trying to speak from an enlightened place because I know that I'm going to continue to fuck up in my yeah. life. But like, I, I definitely think I learned a lot from those last relationships mm-hmm. for sure. You're going to want to light the cigarette for this one. Great. Um, <laughs> Thank you for giving me the <laughs> You had a relationship with a castmate on Riverdale. Mm-hmm. How did you navigate a breakup with someone that you work with? Ooh, it was really hard. It's really hard for both of us. And that's okay. Um, I... <sighs> I think the work thing got difficult because it was hard to suspend all of the way we felt about each other. Um, And it didn't afford us the luxury of distance to really overcome that. Um, I know we both did quite quite a bit of damage to each other in that we're good friends now, which is awesome. Um, We work really well together now. but I think that was exactly where we both needed to be. We we were in a foreign city working a very intense schedule, 14 hours a day, oftentimes six days a week, um, alone. And we really leaned on each other while also going through the elected trauma of this incredible overnight success, mm. um, a ton of criticism, a ton of expectation, um, and I think we did the best we could really, I, yeah. I, I, I really do think we did. Um, and I'm very grateful in very many ways. I was able to go through it with someone who was going through the exact same set of circumstances mm-hmm. as me, but also in very many ways, uh, all the cliches about dating someone you work with are very true. Do you think it lasted longer because you were working together? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, th- there was a lot of pressure. Towards other people, really. Mm-hmm. I, I think if I had loved myself a little more, I probably I probably would have left a little earlier. Mm-hmm. But um, I, uh, I just felt like I had to take care of a lot of people around me, mm-hmm. which was not good for me. I probably should have exercised a bit more selfishness mm-hmm. in that situation. Um, yeah, that's a theme for you. I, I also... I think the complicated thing was I was so private. Uh, I'm private with all my relationships. I'm private with my current relationship in very many ways. Um, that we didn't make a big deal when we split. Mm-hmm. So afterwards, I was photographed with, um, as a single man, dating other women. And I think it caused people to think there was uh, something dubious going on. And mm-hmm. I, prob- I, I took a moral stance that I was never going to talk about it. It didn't need to be said, but I I have realized now in hindsight that I probably should have said something almost right away. So you're saying the timeline looked a little murky of like, absolutely. People didn't know you broke up. And then we see these pictures of you with another woman. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then they're like, wait, are you cheating on her? But you guys had already ended. Because I didn't think the public needed to be afforded the luxury of, of my own heartbreak or whatever the the Mm -hmm. hell that was. Uh, But I'm realizing that that gray area created a lot of rumor and gossip that uh, would end up affecting me and my mental health quite a bit afterwards. Oh, really? Um, So in an inverse way, the silence and mystery of that gray area created a fertile petri dish of bullshit um, that was my own mistake. Why do you think it affected you so much? Uh, Because I am a sucker for validation and I want people to think I'm a good guy. Like all of us. Yep. You know, I think all of us have aspirations to be, you know, uh, morally stand up people. Mm-hmm. And when people go, hey, that person's a fucking piece of shit, all of us are affected by that. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's a consequence of my youth or, or anything any more than the next person. Mm-hmm. I just think, you know, I, I, I have a very complicated relationship to the public, which is how much I let them in and how much I don't let mm-hmm. them in. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, a lot of things probably should have been done differently in the past, but that's who I am, and it's made me who I am now, so I don't really regret it too much. Why did the relationship end? I won't go into that too much, but I will say it was mutual. Can I tell you something? Please. 
I promised myself today that if you fucking said the word mutual, I was going to call you out because think about I'm this. I'm speaking as a twin, so <laughs> I'll oftentimes say we and mutual and other things too. No. No, please call me out. Someone had to have made the first step to end it. I left. You left. I did. Thank you. Yes, I left. But to be honest, when you're in a relationship for that long and someone leaves, it's not like someone's like, what? Yes. There's not, it's not a surprise. So I, I, I'm always, you know, I don't like to say like, oh, I split. It's not like, you know, Paul Simon, 50 ways to leave your lover. <laughs> it's, it's like, you get it. It was time. Yeah, it, it was time. And, and, and I think, um, I think in very many ways, this was right before COVID. So it mm. also gave us the space because we got locked down, That's great. you know, which I, which I think was good, but. Yeah, uh, you keep calling me on my on my mutual bullshit. <laughs> mutual. I was like, that motherfucker, if he walks in here, no fucking... Yeah, you want the tea. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's okay. I get it. No, I get it. <laughs> okay, how did you and your current girlfriend meet? Friends of friends, oh. which is great. Yeah, mm-hmm. the first time I met her, um, she was actually in a five-year relationship. Wow. Um, and we didn't speak again for like two years. Um, and by the time we met again, she was single. Um, and it was very funny cause we, I was having a party at my house and she came through and we started talking and joking and then one or two people left and then two or three people left. And then it was just us talking and we were just talking about relationships and life and, and stuff like that. And it was, it was a practically, it was practically like a handshake agreement. And honestly, from that moment on, uh, we didn't stop spending every day with one another. It, it's like. It is, she's my best friend. We get along so well. We do everything together. Uh, the only reason I'm allowed on this show on Valentine's is because she loves you. So uh, I fucking love it, Cole. It's great. I'm like, thank I'm God. I'm earning major brownie points for her right now. <laughs> oh my God. You have she's to understand. She's like, keep talking. She's going to watch I, this I, and be like. When I told her that, that I could be on the podcast, she was like, oh yeah. Honestly, it's been two years and some change, and it's felt like a fucking week. It's felt like a week. It's incredible. Wow. It's incredible. I honestly, I've never experienced this level of compatibility, and it makes me look back on on my youth and go, well, you really didn't know. Right. Which is which is nuts. I mean, and, and as a consequence of our relationship, my life has just improved. I've I've gotten sober. I've mm-hmm. I've questioned my existence in a way that that I never have before. My I've had my best financial years. My career is doing better. It's like when when the private sphere is locked in, everything else comes from that foundation, mm-hmm. and it is in no small part thanks to her. You turned thirty last year. I did. Was it a moment of reflection for you personally? Oh, yeah. How'd you feel? I don't know. You know, when you're a kid, you don't really see anyone past 25. Yes. And I, I like, like everyone's 25. Right. Even if they're like 60, you're like, oh, you're 25. <laughs> when I was young, I thought by 25, I would have it all worked out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd have the house and the white picket fence and the kids and the Labrador retriever and all that bullshit that we mm-hmm. grew up believing. Um, and my father was 27 when he had the two of us. Wow. And when I hit 30, I had some puby facial hair and some long hair pulled into a fucking hipster man bun like a total cliche, some Silver Lake cliche. And I, I was standing on the beach <laughs> on the same sand that my father had stood on when he was 30, but two, two three-year-old twins were running around him when he was 30. And he had the same hair and the same puby facial hair. And we look very similar. And uh, I said, wow, our lives are really fucking different. (laughs) Really different. Um, I don't know if I've fully come to terms with it yet, but I feel more confident and more self-assured than I ever have before. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us have had delayed gratification with the aging process and in our generation than, than our parents' generation. Yeah. Like, they were just fucking all gas, no brakes to pretty much every fucking thing that was happening in their life. Yep. They were like, fuck it, you know, I'm 22, it's time to have six fucking kids. And you're like, damn. Whoa. Damn. I agree. All of us now, you know, we're 30, we're like, like I, I just got it together. Right. I lived <laughs> like through I two can't. recessions and fucking 
all this shit that we we've gone through that that most of us have have a kind of arrested development in very many yeah. ways that now at 30 i can say i'm i'm breaking out of and most mm-hmm. of our generation is breaking out mm-hmm. of now in our in our 30s i cannot thank you enough for coming on yeah. i feel like this was exciting for me because i've watched you for so long so i know so many people are going to be like oh my god i feel like i really got to know cole today in a way that elevates everything i feel like mm. i'm it's exciting to watch you on tv but it makes me that much more invested in your career and where you're going and i'm just so happy for you and i can't wait to see what's next and That's thank nice you thank you, you for coming thank you on. for letting me fill this studio with four cigarettes yeah i have an interview tomorrow the person's gonna be like what the what fuck, the fuck? <laughs> like, it smells like me. an old lady's house in here <laughs> thank you for coming on cole thank you for having me This episode is brought to you by DoorDash. Want $0 delivery fees? Try DashPass by DoorDash. Daddy gang, I love being home. I love to be cozy, comfortable, laying on the couch. I can't tell you how many times I need something, but I am too lazy to get up and get out of the house. And sometimes I need food or groceries, you name it. Dash Pass gets it delivered right to my door and yours too. It is only $9.99 a month. So I think it's a really good deal, Daddy Gang. So get $0 delivery fees on eligible orders with Dash Pass and new members get a 30-day free trial. Terms apply. Sign up today.